Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Everybody's got set up in the middle of bedding thicket. And save this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. Boom! It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right over there. 10 yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. All right, guys, here we go. Episode three of the Legend of the Woods series, and we have a 100% legendary buck on this episode. Um, we got Casey from the Management Advantage talking about Oscar, an eight and a half year old deer. Maybe a hundred inch rack. <laughs> Absolute legend. Legend. Um, if you guys haven't watched this YouTube video, um, pause this, go watch that, and then come back to this, and you will, you can, he can put the story out from there. But um, we really want to showcase a deer that was old and not just a giant rack, because it's not all about the rack. And if you get an eight and a half year old deer that you've hunted for six years or have had history with six years like Casey does, it does not get any better of a story than this right here, guys. Um, if you want to hear the story of how he got it done with his brother on his birthday mm-hmm. on an eight-and-a-half-year-old legend, Bully Buck, tune in from here. Let's get into the partners and make this possible. Start up with the VIP veteran broadhead. Homie's got some stat news about the veteran broadhead. Hit him with the... 
Deets? Deets. I said, I said you're kind of holding it back I'm just there. Holding it. I thought you were um, gonna hit it for me. So last last week we kind of started into the veteran. Um, let's just call that what it is. You know, I shit the bed. I di- <laughs> didn't really didn't really plan out. Yeah, no plan. Had a had a last minute shift change and uh didn't go quite as good. So the pitch the 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 guy that was warming up to pitch didn't come through. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Bullpen call was short. So Bullpen. uh we're gonna go over two things. We're gonna go over the tip that I was trying to do last week and fumbled on, and then we're gonna cover the blades that I wanna cover this week. So uh, the VIP veteran broadhead tip, um, it's geometrical shape is four flutes. It's designed to make the air molecules go chaotic before it reaches the blades. So with the air being chaotic, it'll not create any lift or deflection. And that makes it only go to where you're aiming. So that means it's going to be field point accurate. And then the tip of the broadhead only has... It has a hole in it designed to use your Allen wrench that you're going to use to um, unscrew your set screw to release your blades. Um, So it has a hole in there big enough to get that Allen wrench in to easily remove the tip when you disassemble your veteran broadhead for cleaning or, um, you know, well, you don't have to replace the, you don't have to take tip off to clean it, so... Um, moving on to the blades. The blades fixed are an inch and a quarter cut. They are cut on contact and they never stop cutting. And all the blades do is get wider in the soft tissue. They do not jackknife open. Uh, the blades open and they don't cam open either. Blades do not displace surface area with the wide cut because the blades are not locked into place. Uh, that goes into the variable cutting width. On exit, the blades compress to get through and around the bone using independent blade compressibility, locking back onto the lock ring. Uh, We're looking at an inch and a half to an inch and three-quarter exit wound. Um, Other blades typically made out of um, 420 stainless steel Rockwell hardened to 48 to 52 and the veteran has a 440C surgical steel Rockwell hardened to RC60, allowing you to shoot animal after animal without losing an edge and remaining scalpel sharp, as has been proven by a few veteran shooters. Um, one has killed, I believe, eight animals with the same veteran broadhead, um, numerous with six, and I think the record is 14. So. Uh, the blades of the veteran broadhead are nothing to um, take as a joke because they are serious. Moving on to my favorite part of the show, the VIP veteran broadhead shout out. This week's shout out is Andy Hunt, who served in the Army National Guard from 2000 to 2009 as a crewman on the M1A1 tank. He deployed in 2005 and 2006 to Armadi. Iraq Combat Team 28th Infantry Decision for Operation Iraqi Freedom. While in Iraq, he not only performed his duties as a tank crewman, but was also tasked with several other soldiers in training the Iraqi Iraqi Highway Patrol in tactics to efficiently conduct law enforcement duties in a hostile environment. Um, Andy? Everybody here from Whitetail Legacy, the VIP family, and Matt and Cindy, thank you for your service.
So, in conclusion of our VIP veteran broadhead shout-out, we'll kick it to Cody. I'm going to cover Scentlock over here. I got the Osredo 400. I'm going to break down some of the components of this. Um, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So, uh, we get a lot of message about the Oz Radio, Ozone in general. Um, we have no experience with using ozone in the field. That's not something that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we just use it on our clothes. So uh, one tactic I want to break down here, though, is the tether strap on the Oz Radio. I like that it, um, if you have, like, a nail or a screw somewhere or a, anything, you know, a stick, you can just wrap that tether strap on and you're it's hanging and ready to go. Um, I use that in my house a lot. I hang it on doorknobs. I hang it on. Uh, I don't think about doorknobs. That's a nice yeah, one. Doorknobs. Just throw it on there. You want to run it in your bathroom. As if you don't want to set it up, you know, hang it on the doorknob. A real quick, easy tool. Um, you can actually make a little loop in that and pull it tight if you're worried about it falling off. So that's just one added feature for Scentlock and the Oz Radio is that tethered loop. Nice. Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. All your taxidermy needs. Um, big news coming out of Ingrams, like we say. Um, a lot of stuff coming out with him. Deets we cannot release yet. Very excited for him. I heard that he may have just put his two weeks in somewhere. That's all I'm saying. Um, moving on to uh, ECW calls. All your custom call needs, custom engraving, custom slates, custom grunt tubes, anything you need in the call world. He is your man. Embry Custom Woodworkings is the go-to for all our call needs. All right, let's get into the show. All right, we got Casey from the Management Advantage. How you doing tonight, Casey? Doing good. How about yourself? Doing great, man. We appreciate you working with our schedule and uh, coming on uh, to spend a little time with us and uh, tell the story of this legend of the woods, uh, eight-year-old buck, right? Yeah, he was eight, eight and a half. Man legend right there so i'm excited to get into this story but uh first i'd like to for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself well i am the editor and producer of a web show called the management advantage um i, I also own a business called c2 predator removal uh, we trap coyotes raccoons basically any predator all over the country um that's kind of my side gig my main job is like i said the editor and producer of the management advantage. Um, what we do is basically teach landowners how to manage their land, um, whether it's five acres or 5,000 acres. We try to kind of cater to everybody a little bit and, uh, basically, you know, not show people how to kill 200 inch deer, but, you know, try to show people how to, um, you know, grow a better deer herd or grow better habitat, you know, things like that. Um, we've been doing it, um, actually the, the show has been around longer than I have worked for it. Um, I think he started it in 2000 or 2003, somewhere around there. Um, how I got involved is I met a fellow by the name of Chuck Sykes. Um, he's a wildlife biologist from, um, Alabama, met him up here in Illinois on a hunt. I was in college and I was going to school for ag business and, uh, totally different gig than what I'm doing now, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, ran a camera, started running a camera for him. Uh, we were on the outdoor channel and I, don't, I think it was 2012. Now we switched gears. 
and uh, saw the saw the shift coming um, where everything was kind of going web and going away from TV, and we kind of got ahead of the game, and everybody told us we were crazy. Yeah, props to you guys. You guys yeah. did it at the right time, and now look at you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think the I think the first month uh, when we went to straight web, I think our first month's viewership was like fifty two hundred views, and uh, now we're somewhere in the four to five hundred thousand range per month. So it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. <laughs> yeah, definitely reaching uh, reaching a lot of people, and uh, I mean high quality yeah. content content like you said from everybody. I love it. Like you said, how you not you're not teaching people how to kill 200 bucks, 200 inch bucks. You're teaching people how to hold mature deer on your property. Yeah, and not not and not even necessarily that. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, you see all these guys that that's all that's what they're after. They don't even want to, you know, you get a picture of a 160 inch deer and they look at it and they're like, "Oh, yeah, whatever." You know, that's not something to interest in, but that's that's not our game. I mean, we we just want to get those deer to the right age and create a story with them. Um, you know, like, like Oscar, you know, we'll get into that in a minute. That deer, I don't even know if he scored a hundred inches, but that deer means more to me than any deer that I have on the wall. And also I didn't kill him. My brother killed him. So, um, it's just the, the stories that you build with the deer. Um, it's so much more than deer hunting. Um, you know, whenever you get into the aspect of, you know, deer season only runs October to January here in Illinois, but um, we think about it 365 days a year. Um, not so much here in the last month or two when we're trying to get work done because it's raining every day. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know how that goes. Put the pontoons on the boat to put the food plots in. It's getting ridiculous. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. We're so far behind on everything we're doing. Well, we're not even sure if we're going to get ours in, man. It's just we're struggling. Yep, it's getting to that point where – you're either going to have to do it or don't do it and wait till fall. Yeah, we're either going to have to plant beans or just do a fall one, like you said. So. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, you're definitely, I think you're well-known by a lot of people, you know. I mean, your guys' series is one that I really enjoy. Um, I love the trapping side of stuff when you guys showcase that. That's really cool to me. A lot of people aren't out yeah. there showcasing that, and that's definitely a management opportunity, you know what I mean? And, uh, Oh, exactly. It's, it's huge. Um, you know, a lot of times as far as the management side goes, it's not a, it's not something that we can necessarily do extremely effective in the Midwest because of, you know, fur trapping and seasons and whatnot. But most of my work is in, you know, Alabama and Texas. They don't have a season, a closed season on coyotes. You can trap them year round. So we can actually get in there and trap coyotes when the fawns are dropping. Um, trap coons whenever the turkeys are nesting and doing it at the right time and we can get in there and really do some good make an but, impact uh, yeah it's so hard here like yeah. you said when when you can trap coyotes they really aren't affecting a lot of stuff like you know so yeah i mean you can help things a little here in the midwest and i hate to get off on the i mean i could talk about trapping for <laughs> all night with you guys but, yeah but like in the Midwest, you know, we, we have a season that runs till, you know, mid to late January and, and you can do some good, um, as far as keeping pressure off of your deer when they're stressed the most. Um, you know, if you've got deer that are coming to a cornfield, bean field or whatever to feed them, you know, every, every afternoon, which like they were this, this winter, we had a really tough winter. And if you constantly got coyotes coming in there and running them out, you know, they're running a mile to get back to cover and, um, 
you know, they're burning a lot of calories and it's putting a lot of stress on the deer. So sure. you can help, you can, I mean, it's kind of a different, you know, uh, train of thought, but it does help. Um, anything, anything you can do to kind of help balance it out helps, you know, we're, we're not here to kill them all by any means, cause you're never going to do that. Uh, I've had several people tell me they could kill them all and you can look that person straight in the face and tell them they're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. They're very Things good at repopulating. Exactly. So. They are. They are. But um, we do what we can. Um, that was one thing, you know, whenever we first started uh, this show, we, we tried to tried to showcase things that really aren't out there. Um, you know, how many times has the food plot been planted? Or, or are people showing you how to plant a food plot? You know, there's other things that you can do to really help your property um you know we we still do food plot stuff um and i, I like to think that you know every food plot kind of has its own story um depending on the weather and the scenario and the wind direction and how you plan to hunt it and, you know what your overall goal is um and that's how you know we're, we're still alive is you know the content's never going to go away because um, everything you know as long as you look at it in the right light you know you're always going to have some new story, you know, within, you know, our, like our little farm. I mean, how many shows can I do? On? I don't know. Probably we could do one every, every year on the, you know, different deer that show up and, and how we go in there and, and try to kill them. But, um, now I'm rambling. Sorry. Oh no, it's perfect. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm learning. That's something <laughs> me and homie have had the opportunity to do is do a lot of land improvement stuff this year. Um, we were working with wildflowers, never done any of that stuff. We're yep. working with uh, yep. a lot of CRP, uh, prescribed burns, uh, pheasant exactly. habitat. Uh, we've done uh, food plots in the past, but we're doing food plots um, dedicated to, you know, bird habitat. Um, yep. We're doing uh, fire breaks. You, manage, you, know, you can manage for one thing, you know, like, like say you just want to manage for white-tailed deer, but you're going to get residuals from that with everything else everything else is going to benefit from that native warm season grass stand you planted or those wildflowers you planted there's so many different animals that will utilize that kind of habitat and it's and what i tell everybody is better than fescue yeah for sure yeah especially here in illinois that's something that we've really enjoyed yeah i mean how much fescue is here in the state of illinois and it's totally useless to everything wildlife it's good for um, you know, erosion and water quality and there's places for it, but I absolutely hate it in a, in a setting where I want to try to manage for a while. Yeah. It's just like a corn, you know, how many corn fields are there? I mean, it has its place, but if you find a good CRP yep. stand that holds a lot more wildlife. Um, I was hunting on a, a high point on that uh, area and we'd got a couple trail cam pictures of pheasants but nothing crazy but i ended up seeing 14 or 15 pheasants that one evening of hunting and i didn't even know mm-hmm. there was that many pheasants on the property you know what i mean but very good at hiding yep. and us doing that little project you know we took some pride in knowing that we're helping with the nesting of these birds you know to benefit them build it and they will come yeah, and then, then, I mean, you get the green up for the white tails, and it's good for everything. So, exactly. We have a landowner that's very uh, knowledgeable in that and helping us learn and uh, grow. And then also people like you that are putting out the content for us to absorb to be able to 
to grow from. So awesome. Now I'm rambling. <laughs> See how we do that? We get into talk about yeah. stuff we're passionate about, and here we go. So, all right, let's yeah. get into the well, story of Oscar. So, all right, where do we start? Where do we start? I guess I'll start with the farm. Um, what it is, it's 170 acres. It's uh, it's actually my grandpa's farm. Uh, he passed away in uh, 2010, and he kind of has a hand in in the start of this. And um, he actually helped me plant the first food plot. Um, and he passed away, and now my brother and or my dad and, and his two sisters own the farm. And we've just kind of you know, there's 100 acres tillable on it, um, so that leaves you know 70 other acres. Um, we had cattle on it. It was run down as far as wildlife when we first started uh, the cows were running through the timber uh, you know we had good deer in the area but it was just it was just default you know um and it might have held you know three four or five deer maybe ten on a really good day um but then we had ehd come through uh 2007 hit us really really hard and then 2012 wiped us out again and we're just now starting to rebound on our deer numbers but okay let's back up so out of out of those seventy other extra acres, other than the tillable, there's probably you know thirty acres of timber. Um, it's not a dream farm by any means. Um, if you looked at it on, if I showed you an aerial right now, and you know knew nothing about the area or nothing about the farm, you would overlook it. It's it's one of those farms. I mean, it, I don't know how many farms I've looked at that kind of look just like it. And you're like, yeah, I don't know, but. It's special to us because, you know, we've got sentimental value to it. Um, and it's also special because we've kind of built it from scratch. Um, it was, you know, cattle pasture. And we, so what we did is we went in, we carved out where we wanted food plots. Um, we added, oh, we didn't, we didn't go crazy. Um, we, we probably added three to four acres of total food plots, put them in the right spots to where we could hunt them with the right wind directions. And then we basically threw as much native warm season grasses at it as we could. Um, we were, you know, and this is so hard to explain over the phone on a podcast, but the farm is basically a draw that runs out into nothing. It's prairie out there. It's really flat. And uh, we basically took it back to what it probably looked like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, and honestly, we probably didn't even have to plant any switchgrass. We probably could have uh, done a burn down application and, and then burn it with some fire, and you probably would have got some prairie restoration naturally, but we wanted to do it uh, quicker. Um, I wanted it established immediately because that that's our number one missing factor, uh, I think, in pretty much west central Illinois and a lot of the Midwest is good quality cover. Um, giving the deer somewhere that they feel safe, and especially a farm like this that, like I said, if you looked at it on an aerial map, you wouldn't think of mature deer would want to live in. So um, we basically went around everywhere that we didn't put a, a larger chunk of switchgrass. We did a 60-foot buffer around all the fields, around all the little fingers that come out, you know, 60-foot buffers. We wanted the insulation layer and kind of feather it out. Um, and those deer, I mean, it went from, you know, those deer had two or three spots that they would bed consistently on the farm to now they're bedding all over the place it's i don't even want to know how many deer um stay in there now but uh, anyway so we took the farm 
from basically a rundown cattle pasture to an absolute jungle of native warm season grasses and food. And when we did it, it we, we kind of had to learn how to relearn how to hunt the farm. Um, basically because the deer were using it differently. They were, when I say we feathered that habitat out, um, you know, where normally those deer were staying in the timber and you had to get in there with them and you risked a lot of, you know, bumping deer walking in and out. You know, we made it to where those deer are actually walking through those native warm season grasses and they've got, it's like rabbit trails going through them. It's, it's incredible. But we made it to where you could actually, you know, we've got some trees. I, actually, I killed a deer this year um, out of a tree. It's it's a it's a big shingle oak that's out in the middle of a field. And it's the farthest south tree on the whole farm, and you can see it from the county road. But anyway, that we had this deer that was that was coming by it consistently the year before, um, in 2017. If you remember me killing him, we called him Charlie Brown. And uh, I ended up killing that deer. I killed him out of a different tree stand, but I had hung this stand uh, specifically for him. But I killed a deer out of it this year, and it's just, it, like I said, that native warm season grass has totally changed how the deer, you know, act, move, and overall just how they live on the farm. They feel so safe in areas that before you would have never seen a deer where they are now. It's It's absolutely incredible when you see it go from absolutely nothing to now it's just it's a it's a paradise in our own little right um it's and now i'm rambling again so i kind of lost my train of thought where i was going with that one thing i will say uh warm season grasses crp i don't know how many times i said it on this podcast (laughs) that is whitetail heaven you know i mean if you got a property with some of that on there people overlook it so much um Luckily, there's a lot of that around my area, and there's some pieces where there might be six acres of timber on it, and it's some pheasant habitat yep. acreage, and yep. I'm like, that's it. You know, people are like, oh, there's nothing there. There's no, And I'm like, okay, nothing there, man. Keep rolling by. <laughs> but that, that CRP holds so many deer. The only problem I wanted to bring up right now that we are having in our area is when we get that first heavy snow, is there any way to prevent the deer from just vacating that area if it flattens that well, CRP? And that was what I was going to say. There's a lot of difference when people start talking about CRP. Um, you know, especially whenever you go to NRCS office and they, you know, there's there's cool season CRP stands, there's warm season CRP stands, there's pollinator stands. Um, you know, I went. We we actually did do a little bit of CR actual state funded CRP this past year. Um, and that was a, that was a mix of, you know, big blue, little blue Indian grass and, and a little bit of switchgrass and a couple of for, forbs in there. And that, that's better than fescue. It's, it's great. If you can, if the state will allow you to manage it correctly and, you know, you've got to go through some hoops and make sure that they understand what you want. But what we did when we first started building it is we just, there was no way that we could sign up what we wanted to do into CRP because you've got to have that five years of um, crop history. And we, a lot of it was pasture, so we couldn't sign it up. So we basically footed the bill by ourselves. And I went with, instead of doing a mix, I went with straight switchgrass. And the benefit of switchgrass is it stands up to snow and wind. 
I mean, you can get a seven inch snow on it and it might, if it's a real heavy, sticky snow, it'll lay it down. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's ruined. And you come back the next day, it's melted off and the wind's blowing it off of it. And it stands right back up, man. That's um, what we need. Yeah. And that's, that's whenever I talk about native warm season grass on our farm, it, it is a, an absolute zoo of switchgrass. And nice. that's, that's, I mean, a good friend of mine from Ohio kind of introduced it to me whenever I first started, you know, really getting into the, the habitat stuff and showed me how to grow it. Um, you know, give me specific details on what to do and kind of follow those recipes. And, oh my gosh, it, it, that's, I would, if I had to give one thing credit for what took our farm to the next level, it would be switchgrass. If we didn't do any food plots at all, just adding that component in itself has, has made that place unbelievable. Yeah. That's our biggest challenge is when the winter hits, our, our areas just get flattened. I mean, the deer are in there. Yeah. Hardcore. Yep. A lot of does, which bring, you yep. know, the bucks in. We'll have some home buddies bucks, but we get a lot of roamers coming to that area because it just holds, it can hold so many deer. And uh, yep. the, when that winter comes, man, they just vacate to the timber. So some switchgrass in there is what we need. So, yep. And that's, I mean, it's, it can be a little finicky to grow um, if you're not experienced in it. But it, there's there's a lot of information out there and, and little tricks and tactics you can use to, to really help it go. I mean, you really need two to three years to to get a good stand on it. Um, I've had some really good luck on some on a few stands where I had you know five and six foot tall stands the first year. Um, but I got lucky with you know how I planted it, um, when I planted it, had some timely rains and used the right chemical application on it, and it really took off. But it's, uh, I mean, like I burned a bunch of it this year and, you know, did it in, I try to do it as late as I can just to kind of suppress that fescue encroachment back, back into it or the cool season component. Um, if you can wait till that fescue kind of starts to green up before you burn it, um, that's, that's, that's ideal because it'll set that back while you're, and then your switchgrass kind of has a chance to get, get going and race above it. But, um, yeah, whenever we burn it this spring, you know, mid, mid April, um, how much snow and wind did we have this winter? And it was all still standing straight up seven, six, seven, eight foot tall on, on 90% of it. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's, it holds a ton of deer and, um, I mean, you know, it's good, it's good fawning cover. It's good thermal cover. And, and those deer, they, they realize it. And, um, like I said, so we killed the deer that we're really wanting to talk about and we rambled now for 30 minutes about <laughs> other things. Um, you know, since we, we killed Oscar in 2016, but since then, every year we've had them, you know, on our little piece, um, we've had at least one mature deer make it his home. And he, and we had five or six others that, that he ended up kicking out just cause you know, you can only hold so many mature deer in an area cause they don't tolerate one another very well. Um, you know, we run trail cameras all summer and you might have, you know, two, three, four, five, six, uh, mature deer consistent and then it's like mid-september rolls around and they start fighting and and then you know usually by mid-october i've got a pretty good pattern on one deer um and he'll he'll stick in there and and, and he makes a pretty good chess match out of the out of the season for you but um it's in oscar um so i guess i'll start on him um he was a deer um he showed up 
Let me see if I'm getting this right, because this goes back a long ways. Um, we, he showed up as a two-year-old in 2010. And um, I had a couple trail cam pictures of him, and he was kind of just a weird-looking deer. He was kind of squatty. Um, if he was a, if he was one of the one of a litter of a of a, of a dog, you'd say he was the runt. Um, he was just weird-looking. I don't I don't know how any how else to explain it. His rack didn't have the normal main beam and the points that come off of it like a you know like a two-year-old would have. Um, he had large bases, but he just kind of main beam went up and just kind of squiggled. And um, but he was aggressive. He was at every scrape. Um, we saw him several times, and then uh, the next year he was three and a half. Would have been 2011. Um, same thing. Just looked weird. I've got a bunch of truck cam video of him working scrapes, and you would swear that it was a year and a half old deer if you just looked at his antlers, but his body said three. And anyway, he stuck around it. You know, when he was a four-year-old, would have been 2012. We had an extremely bad year. <laughs> and I'm not saying he's the only one that made it through, but it seemed like that was the only year that we ended up getting pictures of, you know, October, November, December. He was just like, where'd everybody go? I'm here. <laughs> he was a survivor. <laughs> yeah, he was the survivor. And anyway, we next year, 2013, he's five. Um, he's still there. He actually turned into an eight-pointer. Um, but he was like 12 inches wide and went straight up off his head. In his goofy. prime. <laughs> yeah. And just a, an absolute bull. And that's, he, he just hated every other deer. It's like he had the worst attitude. I mean, we would see him all the time. And, uh, you know, we're surrounded by outfitters. And there is no telling how many times that deer was passed up by non-resident hunters around there just because he didn't have a large set of antlers. And anyway, um, we, we really didn't hunt the farm heavily, um, from 2012 to, you know, 2013, just because of the sheer fact we weren't getting a lot of mature deer, you know, on trail camera when we were just, we were missing that component of the deer herd. It like, we just wiped us out. It wiped our age class out. And, uh, anyway, Fast forward to 2014, um, mid-October, I killed a deer um, on a different farm. It was actually one of the first deer that I solo filmed. Um, not a giant deer, but he's five and a half years old. And you'll, you'll see a reoccurring theme with me. There's, I'll always say, not a giant deer, but he was a five or six-year-old. You know, I don't care what they score. You know, if I can find a five, six-year-old deer, you know, you can cut his antlers off his head. I still want to hunt him. And that's just, there's something different about hunting that, that caliber of a, that age class of a deer. Um, but it, so anyway, I killed a deer early season and that year me and the wife were, that was the year we got married. We were set to get married October 25th. And, um, so I didn't, you know, I'd, I'd killed a deer and it kind of laid off a little bit. And, um, actually the day before the wedding, we had went and uh, checked trail cameras out there at Grandpa's farm, and um, of course Oscar was there again, six and a half years old, and there was another deer there that we had been trying to kill. This is a whole nother story, but this the deer that I was trying to kill that year he was ten and a half, 
and uh, I ended up killing that deer four days after we got married. Long story short, I shoot him. He runs off. He dies. I'm on the phone with my brother telling him, you know, I just killed a deer. Super excited. The deer was an absolute tank. And out walks Oscar. And he mows his eye right out there in the middle of the food plot. And he heard, he can he actually he heard me talking on the phone to my brother because I was so excited. And I videoed him coming up through there. But I could have killed him then. Um, but I was tagged out. And uh, he just turned around and walked off. And the rest of the year, we saw him a few times, but nothing, you know, close enough to kill. Um, that that would have been 2014. He was six and a half. 2017, he shows back up. Um, we didn't get him killed. I could have shot him twice um, early November um, out of our redneck hay bow blind there on the big food plot, um, but I didn't have enough camera light. He was literally 10 yards in front of me and I just didn't want to shoot him, you know, because by that time he was seven and a half and, you know, we had a hell of a good story going and I didn't want to, didn't want to not shoot the deer, you know, on film. And uh, we saw him out of the combine. We saw him out of the tractor. We saw him during gun season. We could have killed him out of the truck if we were outlaws. Um, actually during gun season, me and dad were hunting. I was filming my dad. And, uh, we had that deer, um, standing right next to, right next to the, where we drive into the farm at, at noon. We went in, we, we had went to go eat lunch and we came back and he's standing there with a the doe and he took off down through the draw. So we drove around, we had actually left everything in the tree and, um, hurried in there, climbed up and no more. We got climbed up. Here we come chasing the doe right to us. And like they always do, the doe turn around and walk back the other direction. So, you know, it just it was just a constant, you know, sightings of him. But it was like he just had the sixth sense. He had the horseshoe, uh, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that horseshoe, I mean, man. There, there's no other way to explain it. And, and you guys know it. Everybody knows that the hunts mature deer. They have, they have some other force that's on their side <laughs> and it gives them the intuition to go the other direction or whatever you know it happens all the time um, so that would have been 2015 i think i might have screwed up some dates i think i said 2017 a couple of times in there i don't know why i did that but anyway he uh he eluded us in 2015 and that was probably the year that he, his body was the largest and i kind of wish we would have killed him you know late october that year because i guarantee you he would have tipped 315 to maybe 320 pounds of live weight on the hooks he was gigantic his neck was gotta, huge yeah those trail cam <laughs> pics of him coming through that fence gap or wherever it's at yeah i'm just like oh yeah. my god he doesn't even look like yeah. he has a head no it's just solid <laughs> yeah. mass yeah it just looks like a four by eight sheet of plywood yeah yeah <laughs> And I've actually, so one of those pictures, I've actually got pictures of him. Um, he's like bowed up at another deer and that was actually three and a half years old at the time in 2015. And he's still alive. And I'm trying to figure him out right now. His name's Eminem. Hopefully he'll be a future episode. Like Eminem the tree or like Eminem the rapper? Eminem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, 
he's a ghost too. He he's a you know, we won't even get into him yet because I haven't we haven't killed him yet, but he is still alive and well. He's actually got a nice set of antlers on his head. So anyway, let's fast forward. Um, actually, let's rewind a little bit. So 2016 rolled around, and Oscar was a deer that never lived on our farm in the summertime. And we have that happen a lot just you know, because of where the farm's at. It's out in that big prairie country. And it can only hold so many deer, and those deer disperse. Um, there's big, giant agricultural fields, but there's fence rows going through about all of them, and ponds and little ditches and whatnot. And a lot of our deer may live five miles away in the summertime. And I don't know where he went. I have an idea of which direction he went, but he would leave. Like, middle of March, he was gone. And uh, he ne- you never got a trail cam picture of him ever until the end of september that's when he would always come back and uh we've got a a trail camera uh, at the corner of one of our big food plots and he would walk by that camera every year the same day september 30th he would walk by it and look at the camera like yeah i'm i'm back let's let the games begin and uh anyway so he kind of showed that little bit of a pattern and that always stuck back. You know, I've always heard, you know, Mark Drury and lots of other guys talk about, you know, same deer, different year, same deer, same time, different year, um, where those deer will do the same things, um, from year to year at the same times. So, um, anyway, that just, that we've talked about that on this <laughs> podcast a lot. That just blows my mind how that yeah, happens and what and on your video you you show the trail cam pics yeah. and i'm like oh yeah you know that's a tactic i wanted to bring up it just unbelievable how they have like a clock or something like well yep it's october 1st time to roll over you know i just don't but yeah. Yeah, we we have a we have a couple bucks that we got we're going to challenge that on this year so yep i will it say happened. And some of those deer, it it kind of upsets you that you know that you, you definitely don't have a chance to kill them. Because I've got several deer that I've got trail camera pictures of all through the summer. And here comes September 13th. They gone. And then you get <laughs> pictures of them middle of January. Yeah. Like, where did you go? But yep. you, get in, you get pictures of a lot of deer like that. You know, I hunt a bunch of, you know, different little small farms around, and I can't count on my hand how many deer do that to me. I don't know and where they go, man. They find some hole to hide in because we're, me and homie, that's why, like, where people put their trail cams out real early, and people get, I'm like, I just, we get real jacked about a buck. We watch him grow, like yep. sidekick. Yep. The buck I yep. killed last year and a buck we call sidekick, they're together every summer. And sidekick yep. is... He's got he's a a nine with split twos, bunch of base kickers, probably high one sixties, one seventy class deer. Every year I get to look at him, and then he just disappears. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, I don't even want to see him. He comes in there, I'm like, ah, that's just sidekick, not gonna kill him. So the only the only thing you can hope on deer like that is eventually, you know, and this is documented through lots of other people, and not just me saying this, but you know, a lot of times when a deer gets older, 
he will tend to shrink his home range. And sometimes they'll, um, you know, they'll stick around. You know, they'll be there in the summertime, and it's like they get to eight or nine years old, and they're like, I'm not going over there this time. I'm just too years. far to walk, and man. They, and, and they end up staying. And that, the deer that I actually killed in 2014, the deer that I called Grandpa, that was 10 and a half, he did that. Um, he would leave every year, every single year. And he actually left for, what was it? Oh, my God, it was four years where I didn't even get a picture of him. From six to ten, I didn't get a single picture of the deer. I thought he was, I mean, just, he was gone out of my mind. <laughs> no no inkling that he was ever alive. And me and, like I said, we checked those trail cameras um, the day before my wedding. And all my groomsmen were here and Chuck was here. And he had, he remembered seeing the deer that I called Grandpa forever. And we're sitting there in the hotel room drinking beers the night before the wedding scrolling through trail cam pictures and everybody's kind of hovering around the camera and just, <laughs> that's dude. epic it sounds like a good time yeah. <laughs> it, and uh as soon as that deer pops up we both looked at each other and said that's grandpa how and and i you know i've got a decent memory when it comes to deer i don't have a good memory when it comes to anything else but i never forget a deer uh, just he had a certain marking um cut in his ear and he just the way he looked um, and he showed back up and he made that place his home again. It was just super awkward. But th- like I said, the, you know, now we're rambling again, but, um, <laughs> we're out. We're 90% sure that we got sidekick about a mile away on trail cam and we're going to kill him. Yeah. Homie's going to kill him next year. So yeah, yeah try. Well, good yeah. luck with that. Yeah. We've, we've got, <laughs> so we've got several that are on the radar, but, um, you know, our place, it's uh, so hard to predict, you know, what deer, now that we've got it built and there's so many, we've got a really good number of deer coming back and our age class is coming. And, you know, from 4th of July to, you know, September 1st, we'll probably have, you know, pictures of seven or eight mature deer on this one little farm. Not, And some of them will be really consistent. Some of them will just get one or two pictures of them, but you really don't know. And it's, it's kind of cool when you know leading into the season now because you don't know who's going to stay or who else is going to show up, and uh, you know that's one thing about habitat management is it uh, you know not only does it you know get you in the outdoors or get your kids in the outdoors or you know introduce new people to the outdoors, but it you know it it, it causes this game of you know cat and mouse and or guessing game of you know what deer is going to show up and especially you know, like I said, in our farm, because of where it's at, um, out in that big ag country, you know, you might have a deer that has never stepped foot on your farm, but whenever they start to lose their velvet in September, you know, they have that big shift or they just, they, they leave their summer range, or maybe they go on a little bit of a, you know, a little jaunt, you know, a two or three mile loop and they may come back. But if that deer maybe has never set foot on your farm, but it's attractive, he finds something that he likes, he might stay. So, you know, you never really know what you're going to get. And that's what's happened the last three years in a row now out there at our farm. You know, we've got all these stories going with all these deer like Eminem and there's there's three other ones. Um, We have the last three years, we've had a deer come in that we've never seen before. 
and shows up mid-October and like you can tell he's a badass and he just kicks everybody else off and um you know a lot of times you know those deer are inferior in the antler department but they're still know, badass probably, like you said yeah, they're still badass I'll, I'll probably i'll probably never kill a deer that you know giant in the antler department just because i love killing those deer um you know they're mature they're they're mean they respond to a snort we use really well and i just i can't back down from them um the deer that i killed out there this year oh my gosh that was he was so fun to hunt and he was living in the same spot of charlie brown and oscar from the year before and he, he made the little five acre spot his home and uh, you just never, never, you, you can't pin them down in little bitty areas like that because they can, they can, you know, they can bed down in several different areas. You know they're close, but, you know, he might go the other direction one night. And then you got to start the game all over again. But that's why it's called hunting and not killing. For sure. Yep. So, I've shot some so, decent deer, but I got a buck. I got an Oscar in my life. I call him Nike, and I want to kill that deer something <laughs> fierce. And he's looks his his uh right side looks like a Nike swoosh. Yeah. Um just it's just a main beam, goes down and makes the Nike sign. <laughs> Weird as hell. And uh I wanna kill him something fierce. I, I killed a one ninety and then I was hunting that deer that might have been eighty inches <laughs> for my second buck yeah. of the season. You know what I mean? Like that's I'm yeah. the same way. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. I, of course I wanna shoot a giant deer, but if a deer's cool and old that's just yep. as, just as good of you know as a buck, and, and that's another thing I wanted to say about you know the habitat management stuff and what we do is you know we're we're not there to specifically grow a two hundred inch deer you know we're there to increase the chain capacity you know increase the age structure and hopefully you know have a shot at killing a mature deer you know eventually you're gonna you're gonna get an opportunity at a high scoring deer it's 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 gonna happen sooner or later. But you might have to lead through, you know, several of the inferior deer. And, and I am 100% fine with that because you got to go back to what I just said. You know, we're here to increase the carrying capacity, make healthier deer, and increase your age structure. And overall, have a healthier herd. And, you know, the, the Boone and Crockett deer are going to eventually, if you, you know, of course, if you're in the right spot. Um, if you're in Alabama and listening to this, you're like, you're crazy. We ain't going to grow in a food crockett here, but you know, it's all relative, you know? I mean, if you can grow, if, if, if all you can grow is 130 inch deer and he's five and a half, six and a half years old, I mean, that's the equivalent of killing a 170, 180 inch deer up here. Um, you know, I, we've, we've managed ground all over the country and, and it's all relative and, and you got to have realistic goals. So we've gotten super sidetracked. <laughs> hey, we're we're professionals at that. I don't even know where I was. <laughs> um, I, last time I think I had gotten, you'd gotten I had through gotten... 2015. Um, yeah. Let's start into 16. Yeah. So I got to where in 2016 when he showed up. You know, he and I told you about how he showed up every September 30th on the same day and walked by the same camera within the same few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did that. He shows up. He's bully. He's the bully of the farm. Um, 
I end up seeing him. I didn't see him the whole month of October. Um, I was con- actually, I was trying to concentrate on another deer as well. Got a little sidetracked. And anyway, um, November rolls around and I could have shot him again, but it was too dark <laughs> in our big food plot. And I let him walk and it was, uh, it was November 7th when I encountered him and he was by himself and he was just cruising around and making scrapes and he just happened to walk out, you know, five minutes too late. And anyway, um, when was wrong the next day, uh, November 9th, I saw him again and it was from afar. You know, I was, I was basically in an observation stand just because of the wind direction. And, uh, November 10th, we had 30 mile an hour winds and I said, you know, the winds were out of the right direction. I said, I'm going to go in, I'm going to check some trail cameras, see if I can see anything. Sure enough, he was there November 10th, like 30 minutes before I got to one of the trail cameras. He was just making laps and he was by himself, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. So I go home, I'm going through those trail cameras, and I remember, you know, that that deer kind of had that same deer, different year, same time pattern, kind of. He had that tendency. So I started going back through pictures and. I was focused on, you know, November 11th and 12th because that was the next couple of days. And my brother had some days off that we could hunt. And, um, so I pull up like two pictures of two previous years on November 12th on a certain portion of the farm. We've got a tree stand right there by it. He had walked by it both years on the same day in the middle of the day. And I was like, surely not. <laughs> But we had, I looked at the weather for November 12th on my birthday. We had the right wind. Met my brother out there. We slipped in there. Um, and it was like one of those days where you only get a couple of days out of the year where it seems like every deer is walking around like a zombie. Right. Because it's like everything is peaked out and they just don't care about being daylight. They're just walking around. And we had several bucks come by. Long story short, Oscar comes in straight down one of us. I do not know how he didn't smell us. Um, and I, I, there's so many other things that, that go into the story that I could get sidetracked on. But anyway, he comes um, he comes in. He's downwind. And I didn't want to do anything to let him, you know, I didn't want to call to him. He was on a trail where he was going to cross the creek and he was going to go away from us. And he, I let him go. Um, cause I didn't want him, you know, if you, he had the angle on us, so to speak, where if you called to him, he definitely wouldn't have, would have gotten downwind without getting a shot. So we, we let him walk, um, pretty much dead away from us in this and we we both know where this trail goes and it crosses the creek and it goes down through the bottom and then it crosses the creek again and he gets on our side and where our tree stand is at it's the ideal location south wind it's up on a high little creek bank and it, where the you know the snakes the draw up all there and it's on a high bank and all the bucks through there they usually cruise right through there and i don't know why he didn't take that trail to begin with but Anyway, we let him go past us. He gets on the same side of the creek as us. He is directly upwind. 
and there is no way for him to get downwind of us if we call to him. So I told Dallas, like, I'm going to snore weed at that deer. He's eight and a half. He's been a bully all his life. All the deer are acting crazy today. He's going to turn inside out. And so he gets, he's like a hundred yards and just dead calm. And I snort wheezed at him and it's like he almost broke his neck when he looked up at us and he could see like he's the squint in his eye, like who's over there. And he walked and he marched right up to us and put on a show for the camera, hooked trees and walked directly underneath us. And my brother just, pinwheeled him at 10 yards and he died on camera and if you watch the video you get to see me cry like a little baby and it was it was pretty incredible because you know lots of emotions go into something like that when you get a deer that's you know you followed him basically for six years of his eight years of his life um it's on your grandpa's farm and then you think about all the things you did to grow that deer not necessarily grow him but try to keep him there and all the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it, and it's your birthday, and you got to film your brother kill him, and dad comes out and does the recovery with us, and I don't know, it's, it's like I said, he's a, he was a, he probably didn't score 100 inches, but I wouldn't have cared if he scored 200 inches. He was it was that important to us. Yeah, um, I mean, a, a lot of work just come good. to fruition right there. Um, a lot of time, a lot of build up, a lot of close close encounters you know um it being your birthday and then you know like you've said a couple times on here um it's not about growing a 200 inch deer it's just you know about letting that deer live its life and you know living it to the the longest extent that you guys can provide for it and um oscar definitely had one hell of a life yep and actually so the night before we had killed him the neighbors to our north they were actually hunting and um, they had him at like 35 yards and just couldn't get a shot at him. And he said he probably could have squeezed an arrow through there, but um, just didn't want to take the shot. And uh, I talked to him the next day and told him we had killed him. And he was pretty happy and said, man, I'm glad you guys killed him. Just as much history as you had with him, you know, it felt right for us to to get in there and, and get it done. But it, it made it so much better that we had it all documented and there was a lot of things that we probably could have documented a little bit better in my mind. Um, but a lot of times you, you just don't have a camera in your hand when you need to, you know, um, you're running a combine or running a tractor or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, uh, your reaction on that kill is awesome, man. You can tell, you know, just a pure, you know, pride and joy of harvesting that deer, you know, the years that it took and then it all coming together with your brother. I mean, that that's epic, man. And like I said, before we started this, you know, we wanted you in the legend of the woods because this buck is a legend, but after you kill him, you're like, this deer is a legend. I'm like, guys, this is so awesome. (laughs) You know, it just fits so perfect for what we were trying to, to showcase here. You know, it's not shooting a giant deer yeah that makes it a legend but also shooting a deer with six years of history and it's eight and a half that is a legend yeah hands down don't yeah, matter I if mean, it had no rack you know what i mean so yeah i i, I don't think i'll ever um be able to top the the story and, and he was the first one that i that, that was really the first deer that i'd gotten to follow for that long because i mean you don't you really don't get that many of those in your life <laughs> um you know 
you follow a deer for six years, well, how often does that come around? You know, usually he ends up dying as a four-year-old or dies as five or six, you know. Yeah, or like gets hit by a car or something, you know. Car or train or whatever, you know, or EHD. He survived through that. Um, he, well, the, the day that we killed him, if you if you watch the video close, he's got a big, giant, swelled-up front, like right where his knee is. Um, it was like a big around as a volleyball. Um, I, it was all full of pus. I don't know if he'd gotten stuck with an antler or what exactly had happened, but they're they're resilient animals, that's for sure. I might have to go back and check that out. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was actually what the neighbor told me. Like I, you know, I told him that we had killed him, and uh, he said, "What was wrong with his leg?" You know, because I, you know, I didn't know if he'd actually seen him or not. And he's like, "What was wrong with his leg?" And I was like. I don't know, but he's like, yeah, it was all swelled up. And I was like, well, you caught it too then. But I actually didn't see it until I watched the video later that night. And, or, you know, when we recovered him, I could see it. But I didn't know, notice that it was that noticeable until I watched the video back. And you're like, whoa, he did have a big old gash in him. But yeah. he'd actually, that the year we killed him, that was actually the biggest set of antlers he'd ever grown. Um, but he broke most of them off. He broke his main beam, broke his Jeep. What would have been his, I guess it would have been his G2. Uh, he, he just wasn't much. He just, like, <laughs> just epic is what he was. That's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, he's just super, super massive. I mean, even his skull plate, when we taped him out, and you look at the thickness of his skull, was just, oh, he's like a battering ram. He's just just a big old bully. He's starting to lose his sight in one of his eyes. You know, on the trail cam pictures, one of his eyes didn't glow anymore. Um, yeah, he was, I don't know how much longer he would have lived. Yeah. It's, it's awesome that you got to connect on him instead of, you know, finding him dead and ending the story like that. Um, but definitely my brother, my brother, my brother actually killed another deer this year on a different farm is actually on our, on my other grandparents farm that was eight and a half. And we had just as much history with him, but we didn't get it on video. And uh, I actually never videoed the deer on the hoof in the daylight, but we had trail cam. I probably got more trail cam pictures of that deer than any deer I've ever gotten. Um, but that deer was weird. I hate to get off on a tangent, but that deer, every trail camera picture I ever got of him, when he walked by the camera, he had his mouth open. Huh. That. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We hungry. It's like he had a... <laughs> It's like he had a breathing issue with his nose or something. But My dog. He, he was another deer that just, he didn't score a lot. He was probably 135 as a slick eight all his life from the time he was four to the time he was eight. I don't but, think uh, that I would enjoy hunting deer as much if you couldn't create a story with them. It would just, wouldn't, I, it wouldn't be as fun. You know what I mean? I know. It, it makes it, it makes it that much more involved. Um, you know, whenever you're, doing habitat work and you're kind of doing it maybe for, for a specific deer if you've got the access to the land and whatnot but you know now that we have created the home on the on that farm it's like i said it's kind of a guessing game as to what deer will show up and i think it's you know as long as we keep doing our our maintenance on it um it's built for life yeah like you it's, said you build it they will come you know you got it yeah. built, and you know what's been successful, so just keep her going. And yep. 
Yep, and we've got it. I mean, they've won season grasses. They'll they'll last forever if you manage them right. Um, put them on three year rotation and burning, and and maybe some mowing and maybe a little bit of disking, but they'll last forever. Um, you know, your food plots are are an annual thing if you're doing a you know grain crop, but you can plant some clover and kind of incorporate that into it. You can do some soft mass trees. You can go in and do some TSI. And, it's never ending. Um, you know, there's always something to do. There's always a tree stand to improve. Um, I've got a bunch of them right now. I need to go trim lanes, you know, right now. Just so I'm not doing it whenever the deer are trying to get acclimated to the place, but later in the fall. But Yeah, that's others. another thing. If there wasn't, if it wasn't an in the cycle of you being able to improve, it wouldn't be as fun either. Cause there's always, every time that we go hang a stand we're always thinking of a certain deer you know and there's you know you hang a stand in your mind you're imagining oh that deer is going to come right here it's going to be money <laughs> oh yeah like a half a percent of the time that works but it's enough <laughs> to keep you going you know what i mean so yeah you get hooked on yep. that dream of it's going to happen right here and then you probably just you just yep. don't see anything out of that stand but you know. Yep, that that and it also like for me, you know, it's something for me and Dad to to go out and do together. Um, you know, often I sit there and like, well, what would we what would we do together if we didn't go work on the farm? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't. Uh, if me and know, Homie didn't have this podcast fishing, or hunt you know? hunt, we wouldn't. You know, we hang out together yeah. with the kids sometimes, but not a lot. No. So this yeah. is kind of the way we hang out. You know, is. Yeah. Um, friendships can be made around deer hunting, man, lifelong ones. So, Oh, exactly. And it's, we both learn stuff every year and, you know, dad taught me from a little kid. Now I think I taught him a little bit about habitat management and, um, it's, it's been super, super fun. And at the moment I'm looking for a farm to buy. So oh. if you see one down this way, send it on. I'd like to. <laughs> You say you're going to buy me like a farm? Buy one and <laughs> kind of start turning turning one into turning one in for my own dirt. Yeah, that'd be epic, man. Turn one in, and then I mean, I just couldn't imagine going out and being like, "You see that tree? Yeah, that's my tree." <laughs> you know, what I mean, that would just be so. Yeah. Eventually, that's going to happen in my lifetime, and that would be pretty epic, you know. To, to be able to yep. go out there and say, I'm going to plant a food plot right here. I ain't got to ask no questions. Nope. This is what's going to happen, you know? Yep. So. Yeah, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, that's yep. for sure. And we, uh, right now, we're taking advantage of just learning, you know, and, and absorbing as much knowledge as we can um, and figuring out, you know, food plots and, you know, prescribed burns and, and native grasses and stuff. I learned a ton from you about, you know, switchgrass I, I had no idea, like, when people talk around here, it's just CRP. There's not, like, multiple different yeah. categories, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's a lot of, in, in the, especially with the, the warm season grasses and all the native plants, that stuff can be really confusing. Um, and, and I definitely don't know all there is to know about it, by far, do I not? I mean, yeah, it's, there's still so much to learn, but, you know, I do know the basics of switchgrass. Um, you know, you got to site prep is key. Um, get everything killed. Kill, 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 kill. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm like out there at grandpa's, um, you know, like I said, a lot of that was cattle pasture and all fescue. So what I did, you know, ideally what you would do with, with a stand like that and getting one established 
you would go in there in the fall and spray it with a with a good heavy dose of Roundup, and it sucks those the poison into the roots, and it's it's pulling all of its energy down into the roots before fall anyway, and that's how you get a good kill on fescue. And then you would come back in the springtime and spray it again as soon as everything starts to green up. Spray it, kill it, and then I would even let it green up one more time and spray it again. And you can, you know, round up, you can, you can spray it and plant it the same day because it's a contact killer. It's not going to hurt that seed. So that's what I did is I basically, you know, spray it two or three times and make sure it's, the slate's clean. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, switch grass, the seed is so tiny that we were basically planting it. You want it, you know, 80% of it laying on top. And the first, first couple of stands we planted, we rented the drill from the NRCS. Um, and planted it, you know, used a small seed box, got it down to, you know, four to five pounds of the acre and uh, drilled it in and basically just laid it on top, let the rain bring it in. And it worked really, really well. Um, the last couple stands I've done with the Terminator, um, it's a really good company that, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with the guy that, that, that started building them. And uh, now that he sold the company, to, they're, they're out of Georgia now. But I've planted several stands with that. And it's worked extremely well. You can also, you know, I don't want to get in particulars because everywhere is different, but you can also spray some atrazine um, as a residual at, at the time of planting. And then when switchgrass gets to a certain height, you can also spray it with some 2,4-D, which is a broadleaf killer. And a lot of times, you know, around the 4th of July, you're going to get a heavy influx of ragweed, which is, really good for deer and quail but when you're trying to establish you know, a switchgrass stand you got to get rid of the competition I mean, that's first year right out of the box you've got to keep the switchgrass above everything else so uh, you know go in there when it gets to five leaf stage hit it with some 24d knock out the competition you know if you have to mow it and clip it right above you know the, the switchgrass seedlings you know do that and then you're in it for the long haul, because like I said, once you get it established, it's, it's there. But now I'm rambling. I mean, I can... Oof. Hey, man, this is good knowledge. I'm learning over here. This is stuff yeah. that, you know, you get you get someone on you that has the experience to, to talk about. We could have you on again just talking about land management, you know, for a whole episode, so... Oh, man. I'm, I'm better at telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, uh, yeah, we, uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us and telling us this story of Oscar, definitely a legend of the woods. Um, and, uh, I'm so happy it worked out the way you did and you guys got to document it. So guys like me can binge watch it on YouTube. So, uh, make sure and check them out. Uh, management advantage on, uh, YouTube, Facebook. What's your Instagram management advantage? Yeah. The management advantage. Yeah. And, uh, YouTube, our website, um, they're all on there. We, we generally try to put out a new video every two weeks, um, you know, show-wise, and then we do a lot of other small videos on products and whatnot and try to try to provide some content for you guys to learn from. Maybe yeah. sometimes we have a little entertainment, but... Yeah, content's key, man. I learn a lot. I appreciate you guys putting out stuff. Yeah. Um, I follow you guys, and uh, I'm... I'm pretty much fanboying over here having you on the phone for an hour so i appreciate your time man <laughs> no problem i appreciate you having me on
man, how awesome was it to hear that story of a just absolute stud old mature deer? I was jacked the whole time. I've watched this stuff on YouTube. Huge fanboy of Management Advantage. Um, I'm a huge fanboy of Casey now. If you guys want to know a legit dude, Casey <laughs> is one of them. Um, we had a real long talk with Casey. Um, I think we made a really solid friend. Yeah. Um, excited to maybe get some more of him on this podcast, talking about um, trapping and some other details. I'm going to say he's full of knowledge other than just you know shooting old mature deer yeah, i mean he's, he's very good he at. knows how to turn a piece of land into something that can benefit you if you want to you know i know he said he, it's not all about growing that 200 inch deer but you know some people are about growing that 200 inch deer and he's got the knowledge to help you achieve that goal and um you know even if it's not about that he's got you know the details of how you can help keep deer on your land longer yeah. does bucks Better fawns, better your land, better your hunt, plain and simple. Um, again, like we said at the beginning of this, we thought it was very important to showcase a legendary buck that had a less than 100-inch rack. Right. Because it's not all about the rack. It's all about the hunt. But the legends we're all out there chasing is those giant bucks or those really old bucks. And we showcased a really old buck with a lot of history in this one. And I think Casey nailed the story. Shout out to him. Shout out to Management Advantage. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Uh, remember, get out there. It's it's a time to improve your land. Try to improve something out there, whether it's planting a tree or planting a plot. Get out there. Leave a legacy. Whitetail Legacy is out. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.